You're listening to the Life Center Church Podcast. The disciples asked Jesus, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have in abundance. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear. Blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. Well, good morning, Life Center Church. What a privilege it is to come to you this morning live. And I know it's not the way we would have hoped, but it's the way that it is, and I've been seeing some of your, your posts, and I know that y'all are tuning in and sharing the live stream and commenting. So I feel like this morning you're here with me in spirit. I know you're supporting and watching, and I'm just glad that we can do this, um, even though, like I said, it's not how we would like to do it, but we're going to keep doing it. And I promise you that when we come together again soon, we're going to have a celebration, and it's going to be a time of great joy. Today is not only Palm Sunday, today is also Communion Sunday. And how fitting it is that during these, what many are calling and truly they are, unprecedented times, that Passover is only just a few days away. Today we celebrate together the Passover with the Lord's Supper, trusting in God for his protection right now, for his hand over our households. And today, my, the title of my message is Yes or No? The Parable of the Two Sons. Really, it's a follow-up to last week's message, Michael's parable, the parable of the tenants. In fact, these two parables, the one I'm about to share with you this morning and the one shared with you last week, were told consecutively In fact, they were the first parables that Jesus told upon entering the city of Jerusalem after his triumphant entry. So before we get into that, those of you who are watching right now live at home, maybe you're on your couch with your loved ones, or maybe you're still in your pajamas on your bed, if you've got your loved ones next to you and you're watching together, do me a big favor and just turn to the nearest person, look at them, and say, Yes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that today your word would be spoken. Lord, that I would get out of your way, that you would have your way this morning. I pray that your word would encourage your people right now, wherever they're at, whatever they're facing. Lord, I pray that today you remove fear from your people that people would begin to trust in you. Lord, that your word would send out encouragement to your people. 
and today would be a day of joy, that people's hopes would be put in you, and people's eyes would no longer be looking upon their circumstances, the situations that are our country and the world is facing, but they would not look at circumstances, but set their eyes upon you. And Lord, they would put their trust in you and their hope in you during these times, that your provider, your sustainer, your healer, you're bringing us through. And today you have a message for us, God, and I pray that our hearts would be open right now to receive your word, and that our hearts would be right now open to worship you and celebrate you on this joyous day and to commemorate the day of your triumphant entry to your holy city, the city of Jerusalem. So be with us this morning, I pray. And if you agree, say a big amen. Amen. My life can be categorized or analyzed by my various yeses and my various nos that I've said to God throughout the years. And early on in my life, you know, I was raised by a, a God-fearing family. And for my whole life, my default answer to God has always been a very vocal yes. However, when difficulties arose in my younger years, I mean, granted, I'm still young now, but when I was a teenager, when temptations would arise, when challenging circumstances would arise, my vocal yes to God showed that it was only that, a vocal yes, a religious yes, a cultural yes, maybe even a tribal yes. I offered God lip service. And what that looked like is, in my younger years, I believed in God and I thought I was passionate about God and I, I served in my youth ministry at my church and I thought I was all in. Every time the doors were open, I was there. Any activity I could volunteer for, I was a part of it. I would worship. I would serve. I would outreach. I would bring people in. I would invite people. I did all the things, student leadership, team, and all that kind of stuff. Yet, when temptations would arise... I would succumb. It was a season of rebellion. While I was in the middle of serving God, I was in rebellion to God, and I was in rebellion to my parents. I didn't honor my mother and father. I was doing things I shouldn't be doing with girlfriends at the time. And anyways, moving forward, my dad gave me an ultimatum. And as high school was kind of winding down and we were looking to what was next, what was on the horizon for my future, would I stop what I was doing and, and continue on with my calling and retake up my yes that I gave to God? And what that looked like was I was going to go to England and go to Bible school. And the hope was that I would be trained up to do ministry and go into ministry as soon as possible. Yet, long story short, I won't get into my whole testimony for time's sake today. Many of you have heard me say this before, but I got involved with the wrong girl again. And the ultimate end for me at the end of that path wasn't ministry, wasn't happiness. I wasn't walking in my calling, but I found myself sitting in jail. And see, when I thought that I was saying yes to God, I didn't realize that in reality, 
In actuality, I was really saying no. How so? Well, I had all the outward signs of religious activity. I had all the trappings of spirituality, all the busyness of church, and a vocal profession of yes to God, but I wasn't bearing fruit worthy of repentance, making my yes a no. And I know that many of you here listening at home can relate to what I'm saying in one way or another, because in our own ways, We've all said no to God in some way or another over our life, maybe one time, maybe many times. For me, many times I've said no to God. And we've done that maybe just through our disobedience, or maybe we've done that through our choices, or maybe we've done that by indifference and just simply doing nothing. And a non-answer is actually an answer. A non-answer is a no. And the Bible makes a strong statement when it says that for all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. So at one point or another, we've all said no to God or to his way or to his word, to his law, to his spirit's leading, to his righteousness. We've all said no. And for some of us, that might, like, that might look like the person who totally hates God, who lives sinfully, purely in spite of him. Maybe for some of us that might look like someone who's convinced yourself that you really don't believe in God. Or maybe you're the person who's just indifferent. Don't feel like you need to come to church to worship God. Don't feel like you need to pray every day. Don't feel like you need to do these kind of things. Maybe it might look like you're the kind of person who maybe believes in God, not really sure, you never really went to church, but you try to be a good person. You try and do the right thing, do right by your family. Maybe for some of us, that might look like, like for me, the person who's raised in church. Particip participates in religious activities. Has all the trappings of spirituality, yet no substance. The Bible calls this person the hypocrite. Jesus says they are like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, it's all painted beautiful, painted white and adorned with decorations and maybe drawings. But on the inside, is full of dead men's bones and all manner of uncleanness. He says, first clean the outside of the cup. You clean the outside of the cup, but I say to you, clean the inside of the cup where it matters most, where it's really dirty. Then worry about the outside of the cup. Fools and hypocrites. When you pray, don't pray as the hypocrites who pray publicly and loudly as to be seen by men. And when you give, don't give, sounding your own trumpet and saying, look what good thing I've done for my fellow man so that people can see you and esteem you. And like, wow, what a good person that is. For Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you have your reward and you have it in full. Don't expect that you should receive anything from God if you're a hypocrite. 
But instead, when you pray, you ought to go into your private space, into your closet, and pray there. And where your father sees you in secret, he will reward you openly. And instead, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. So that your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. See, none of us wants to admit that we have at one time or another played the Pharisee. None of us thinks that's us. We're always talking about the other guy when we're talking about people who are religious people, people who are playing the Pharisee. That's not us. That's them. But the truth is we've all played both roles before. What do I mean by both roles? We'll get to that in a second. But we've been the sinner who knew they were lost, who knew that Jesus was their only hope. And we knew that we've also been the Pharisee who thought they were totally good, who thought that them and God were square. They were doing the right things. So we come to our passage today. And at this time, last week, Michael had us stand to read the word, and we've been doing that in youth on Wednesday nights, and we're going to continue doing that today. So I invite you, if you're watching at home, please turn to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to read verses 28 through 46. While you're doing that, I ask that even if you're at home, maybe in your bed, just crawl out of bed for one second and stand with us as we read. And if you're here with us live this morning, I ask that you stand right now as well as we read our passage this morning. The word of God says this, Matthew 21, verse 28 through 46. And Jesus poses a question, speaking to the Pharisees right now. He says in verse 28, but what do you think? A man has two sons. And he came to the first and he said, son, go and work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and he went. And then he came to the second son, and likewise he said to him the same things, and that son answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. So which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, the first, of course. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly I say to you that tax collectors and harlots entered the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards relent and believe in him. You may be seated. We can immediately take two things from this passage. From this parable. Number one, it is a warning to hypocrites who honor God with their lips, yet their hearts remain distant from him. And while you may have said yes to him before, maybe in a prayer, maybe you were led through a prayer and you accepted Jesus into your life, maybe you responded at an altar call and you came forward and knelt and said yes to God. But God knows that as time went on, you haven't followed through with that yes. And the result is it actually makes it a no. Point number two. Really, the main point of this is that this is a message of hope. 
to those who us, of us who up until this point have rejected God, who up until this point, all of our lives, having opportunity after opportunity and saying no to God and rejecting him, today we have the opportunity to repent and to change our answer to yes, like the first son in the parable did. And the reality is this actually applies to the hypocrite too. There's always the opportunity to change your no to a yes. Now let's go into the context of this parable. Today we're going to be talking about Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. On Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter Sunday, just days before the Last Supper, days before Good Friday and the crucifixion, Jesus drew near to Jerusalem. And he came to the, town, uh, the towns of Bethphage and, and Bethany, which are near Jerusalem, just on the outskirts, and the top of the Mount of Olives. And Jesus is at the top of the Mount of Olives as he's drawing near to Jerusalem. Mind you, he's about to deliver this parable. But as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's standing at the top of the Mount of Olives, and he can see the whole entire city. He can see the temple. He can see all the activity, all the religious activity and everything going on. And all the preparations for the Feast of Passover, which was actually the reason why he was coming to Jerusalem. And as he's looking at the city, he knows he's about to make his grand entrance. And he tells his disciples, go into the nearby village. And there you will find, at a certain man's house, a donkey and a colt tied. Unloose it and bring it. And if anyone should say to you, what are you doing? Why are you untying this donkey? Just simply say to him, the Lord has need of it. So they said, okay. They go to the town, and just like Jesus said, they went to a certain house, and there was a donkey, a colt tied there, and they began to untie it as the Lord commanded them to do. And as they were doing that, the owner of the donkey came out and said, what are you doing? Why are you untying my donkey? And they said, as Jesus said, the Lord has need of it. And the man gave his permission and said, okay. And they took the donkey back to where Jesus was at the top of the Mount of Olives. And Matthew tells us in his gospel that right here, Jesus was fulfilling prophecy with his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, riding on a young donkey. And he says, all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the prophet saying, tell the daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you. Let me stop there. What a message for today, by the way. I'm here to tell you this morning, Life Center Church, and maybe you're not a part of Life Center Church, and this stream was shared with you, and you're just checking us out. Behold, your king is coming to you. Make no mistake about it, as Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem, in like manner he's going to return, even in more triumphant fashion than the first. And this time it won't be on a donkey, on a lowly animal. But he's coming on a white horse, riding on clouds with great glory and great power as the conquering triumphant king. And that day is not far away. And Matthew says that this was fulfilled prophecy, that Jesus comes riding on a donkey, lowly, humble, sitting on this sort of animal, not a majestic animal like a horse, and not even a full-grown donkey, but a colt. The foal of a donkey. 
So the disciples laid their garments upon the donkey. There's no saddle, I'm guessing. And they set Jesus upon the donkey. And there's Jesus, mounted on a donkey. Such an obstinate animal. What a picture that is. Think about it for a second. In a way, the donkey kind of is like us. How obstinate of a people are we? Donkeys are obstinate. They're stiff-necked animals, difficult to lead. They'll refuse. <laughs> They'll tell you no. They'll plant their feet. They won't go where you want them to go. Does that sound familiar? The Lord said to Moses, my people are a stiff-necked people. In Psalms 32, verse 9, the psalmist says, Do not be as a horse or as a mule, which is a donkey, which have no understanding, whose trappings include a bit and a brittle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they would not even come near to you. Wow. That's us. We're like that. We need that bit and that brittle, the leading of God. All the things he puts in our lives all of the things that draw us near to him. His word. We need the bit and brittle of his word to guide us. Otherwise, we would never do what's right. We would never do what's righteous. We would never be blameless. We need the brittle or the bit of his spirit leading us in all that we do. Constantly at our side. Never leaving us. We need the help of the local church if you didn't know it. That's why we continue to do what we're doing right now in spite of the circumstances. We're not just going to quit doing this because we need this. We need the bit and brittle of the communion of saints together. Otherwise, if we were left to our own devices like a donkey, we would never draw near to the master. We would never draw near if it weren't for these things that God gives us. Behold, daughter of Zion, your king comes to you lowly riding on a donkey. Ironically, He's reaching out to an obstinate people, riding on an obstinate animal, ultimately to be rejected by the people because of their obstinacy. But he set his face towards Jerusalem like a flint. He was resolute in where he was headed, knowing fully what awaited him, knowing fully the outcome that would come upon him. He could not be deterred from his path. And of his own will, he makes haste towards his most venerable and revered passion and suffering, whereby he will bring to ultimate fulfillment the mystery of his salvation to all mankind. You see, we don't deserve his kindness, not one bit of it. In no way are we worthy at all of his kindness, his mercies, his tender mercies, which are new every morning, his loving kindness, his covenant loyalty to us. When we're so obstinate and we're so stiff-necked, we in no way deserve this, but it's the relentless kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And it's grace that breaks us, kind of like when a rancher breaks the will of a wild stallion and tames him once and for all so that he may be led and ridden upon. It's grace that tames us when we are obstinate and wild 
and refusing to comply, wanting our own will, our own way. It's his grace that allows us to turn our stubborn refusal to obey him. And it turns our rejection into loving submission of him. To go where he sends us, to do whatever he asks, to lay down our will and say, not my will, but your will be done. Which were his very words that he would utter in just a few nights' time. It's his grace that allows us to turn our no into a yes. Turn to your neighbor again and say, yes. Yes. It's that grace that removes the hardness of our hearts. His word promised us that he would take away the heart of stone and that he would give us a new heart, a heart of flesh, and that he would put into us a new spirit, his spirit. And the truth is that without that spirit, we would remain stiff-necked people. We would remain religious. We would remain hypocrites. We would remain judgmental of others. You see, as hypocrites, we love to place restrictions on others and place heavy burdens on others, but like Jesus says, won't lift a finger, not even one finger, to lift that burden off of the people that you place upon them. Won't lift a finger to disciple the person in church who responded to an altar call, who raised their hand and accepted Jesus. You don't even move towards getting to know them, building a relationship with them and including them in the body of Christ and plugging them in. The best we can offer the sinner as hypocrites is association when it should have been a relationship. We say, yes, Lord, but we don't go and work in his vineyard. And when we do that, we're hindered from entering into the kingdom of God. And to that son in the parable, Jesus says, it's the sinner who broken by grace enters the kingdom of God before you. So as Jesus is riding upon a donkey, a great multitude is surrounding him. They've certainly been following him on his journeys. And it's such a great multitude today on the day of his entry into Jerusalem. You have all these people, a crowd going before him and preparing the way for him and a, a multitude behind him following him as he rides. And what they begin to do is take off their outer garments and lay them on the road so that he doesn't have to walk on the dirt, but that he would pass over their clothing and they begin to trim off olive branches that are nearby because the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives is right there on the way in and there's palm trees nearby and they begin to cut down the palm trees and wave them and, and put them on the, on the road so that he can pass over them and they're giving him the king's welcome into the city. What a way to make an entrance. The multitude of people who went before and as well as the multitude of people who followed behind were crying out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who's coming in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd, when they heard this, they became indignant. And they called for Jesus to rebuke the people for saying these kind of things. 
Stop these people. Do you hear what they're saying? Stop them from saying it. But Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you the truth, that if these here should hold their peace and keep silent, immediately the rocks would cry out. Wow. You know, right now this church building may be a little more empty than usual. Maybe only a few voices can be heard here today. Maybe there's no multitude in here this morning with loud worship, praising and singing Hosanna in this building. But I'm here to tell you that God's praises can still be heard right now. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky shows forth his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech and night unto night reveals their knowledge. And there is no speech, no language where their voice cannot be heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And even right now as all of creation and the works of God show forth his glory, every animal, every creature, all the sea and the water and everything in them, in the skies and the birds and everything in them, in the land and the creatures that move upon it, and everything in the sky, the stars, the sun and the moon, giving glory to God. We also have the angels and the seraphim which are constantly crying out before God, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we have the four living creatures bowing before the king and the 24 elders casting their crowns before him. And God is receiving glory this morning whether you woke up and realized it or not. So right now, wherever you're at, whether you're in your living room or in your bedroom, it doesn't matter if you're alone or you're just one person or two people watching the stream with you. Right now, you can take a moment wherever you're at and give God a little glory this morning on Palm Sunday. And you can say a little Hosanna to the King. So this morning on the day of Messiah's triumphant entry into Jerusalem, let's join together with that multitude of Jesus' day. And let's lift up our hearts and offer up a, a meaningful Hosanna to the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Because we know he's coming again and what a glorious day that's going to be that we're looking forward to. And we say, even so, come quickly, Lord. Hosanna to the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now an interesting thing happens. As Jesus draws near to the city... And all this commotion is going on and they're rejoicing and praising God and saying this is the son of David, the king of Israel. Okay, they're saying all that kind of stuff. The gospel of Luke tells us that Jesus in this moment weeps over the city. What a strange time to weep. While they're literally shouting his praise, how can this be? What would stir him and cause him in the middle of all this to begin to cry and to lament over the city? Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus weeps over the city and he begins to declare its destruction of the temple and of the city and that not one stone would be left on top of the other. How could this happen? Weren't they receiving their king? But he said this will happen because they did not know the hour of their visitation. That's puzzling. It seems like they know the hour of their visitation. Can you hear what they're saying with their lips? Is that not knowing the hour of their visitation? 
How could he conclude that while they're shouting his praise? He knew which son they were from the parable. They were the son who said yes, I go, but did not go into his vineyard. He knew that while with their mouth they honored him, that their hearts were so far removed from him. He knew that just days later, that same very crowd saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, would be crying out something altogether different. They would turn their cries into crucify, crucify him. And he knew that. And he weeps over the city. Because they did not know the hour of their visitation. And while they said yes with their lips, really they were saying no. Ultimately they would reject him and not come to the obedience of faith. Matthew's gospel Jesus laments over Jerusalem and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks underneath her wings. But you were not willing. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus enters into the city, and the first act that the king does upon entering the city is he goes right to the temple, and he cleanses the temple. He sees it's been made into a den of thieves. He turns over the tables of the money changers and those who sell doves and animal sacrifices, and he would no longer permit people to sell and buy wares in the temple, and he drives them out with a whip. And he cleanses the temple and this greatly upsets the religious leaders. He's stirring up problems. He's challenging the religious authority. He's challenging their religiosity. He's challenging the emptiness of their religious activity. And they began to plot against him. And as night drew near, he knew it was getting late. And he departs from the city back up the hill towards Bethany. And on his way there, something important happens. He passes a fig tree, and he's a little bit hungry. And as he passes the fig tree, he can kind of see, he walks towards it because he sees that it's growing, there's leaves on it. And he thinks he can go get, get some food. And when he approaches it, there's no fruit on it. So Jesus curses the tree and says, may you never bear fruit again. Because you look like you should have had it. It's the right time to have it, but you didn't have it. And when I came and I needed it, It wasn't there. So he cursed the fig tree. The next day on his way back to Jerusalem, the disciples were amazed when they passed the fig tree and it had already withered so quickly into almost nothing. And they said, how can this be? Jesus said that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, which is a theme of what we've been talking about from the ground up, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, and it begins that way, that you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and it will be done for you. And this fig tree picture is a symbol which we'll get into towards the end of when I wrap this up. But keep that in mind with the fig tree and what happens to it. 
Because it's a picture of Israel. So Jesus enters back into the city and he goes back to the temple. And his authority is questioned as he's teaching and he's uh, teaching the people and healing people. The, the Pharisees approach him. And they ask him and they say, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Come to boot. And Jesus responds, firstly, if you can answer one question that I have for you and answer it, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. And his question is, the baptism of John, John the Baptist, where was it from? Was it from heaven or was it from men? Was it from God or just something man-made up, not worth following? So they had their little huddle together and they devised what they should say. If we say that it's from heaven, well, he'll say then, why didn't you believe him? And if we say it's from men, well, all these people around us, they certainly believed in John and they followed John and they regarded him as a great prophet and will upset them and who knows what will happen. So let's just say we don't know. So they go back to Jesus ready to answer and say, we don't know where it's from. And he goes, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then his next, next response is our parable for this morning. And not only this parable, but immediately following this parable, he gives last week's parable. So keep Michael's message in mind as we finish up this sermon. They go together. And when they say, we don't know, and Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things, he asks them the next question, which is, but what do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and he went. And then he came to the second and likewise he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? The first, they said. And Jesus answered them and said, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe in him. So the parable explained. The son who ultimately did the will of his father was the first son because he eventually obeyed, even though he initially refused to obey and said no. Jesus then likens the first son to tax collectors and prostitutes who even though they were sinners and initially they didn't keep the law of Moses and initially, according to their own society, they were outcasts who didn't say yes to God. When they heard the message of John, they believed and they said yes and they repented. Because they believed John the Baptist and accepted the way of righteousness in spite of their initial disobedience, they were allowed to enter into the kingdom and to work in the vineyard, to be a tenant, a responsible tenant. But the second son, who initially said yes, but ultimately did not obey, is Israel. As Michael said last week, it's not just the religious leaders, but it's all of them. Keep in mind, the people, all the people condemned him and chanted, crucify him. But he's certainly including the religious leaders here as well. So back to the fig tree. We see Jesus cursing a fig tree in Matthew 21, verses 18 through 22. 
And this account might, may seem like an isolated story in this whole triumphant entry, cleansing the temple and offering these parables. But it's not an isolated story. See, Jesus was making a strong symbolic point. The fig tree is often a symbolic or a symbol of Israel. And the fact that the fig tree had leaves on it but no fruit is symbolic of Israel's religious activity. They had all the trappings of spirituality but no substance whatsoever. And Israel may have had leaves of activity but not the fruit of repentance, not obedience towards God, which is why Jesus tells them that prostitutes and tax collectors enter into the kingdom of God before they do because they believed in his message and they repented of their sinful works and followed the way of righteousness. So there came a point in my life where I realized that I was like the second son. All my life I said yes to God. But in reality I was like this fig tree. I had leaves of activity. Always busying myself with church. Attending every meeting possible. But I didn't have the fruit of repentance and obedience to God. I was a hypocrite. I always believed in God, but I never surrendered to him. Not really. I wasn't working in his vineyard. And it took me being in jail to realize how really great the distance was between my lips and what they were saying and my heart and where it really was. And I never would have thought. That what would happen next happened, but right there in jail at rock bottom, I cried out to God and I said yes to him again. I renewed my yes. And the amazing thing is, is he accepted it. And he allowed me to return to work in his vineyard. I never would have thought that he would restore me like he has done so. And brought me a wife who's amazing and a, a daughter who's so beautiful in every way. And I have the privilege to work in ministry and be a part of Life Center Church in the capacity that I am. After all the, my nose, and not just my nose, but the severity of my nose and the intensity of my nose, to be allowed to actually say, you know what? Yes. And let God accept my yes. It was a long road, but now I'm working in his vineyard and I can see the fruit of my yes playing out in front of my eyes. So I want you to imagine what God could do in your life, in your family, in your city, through your yes to him. God can change the course of a nation through one person's yes to him. Eleven disciples literally changed the world because of their yes. Paul one man changed the destiny of an empire, the greatest empire the world had ever seen because of his yes. He shaped the course of the next couple of thousand years of Western civilization because one man went all in because Paul, after initially and vehemently saying no to the point of persecuting Christians, he was that Pharisee. He was that hypocrite. 
with all the religious activity, but his heart was far from God, and he was murdering the people of God and killing Christians and delivering them up to persecution. And God got a hold of him, and he was broken by God's grace on the road to Damascus. And his heart was replaced and softened, and God put a new heart and a new spirit in him. And he said, yes, I go. And he went to work in his father's vineyard. Imagine what Life Center Church would be like if we all said yes to Jesus and really meant it. Think of what we could accomplish if we were all working together in the master's vineyard. Because right now, right now, the fields are white unto harvest. And God is looking for his laborers who will say yes and go into his vineyard. And right now, during this crisis, pandemic, is the moment for God's people to shine. People are watching. People are watching the church and what they are doing on the news. I turn on the news and they're talking about what churches are doing. And people are watching our live streams that we're sharing. And historically, this is when we thrive and this is when we spread. When adversity strikes. See, when we're safe and we're comfortable and everything is good and peachy, we only expand the borders of our garments, spiritually speaking. But when we get pushed, watch out, because we expand the kingdom of God. And right now, God is looking for people who will believe the gospel and bear the fruits of righteousness in their lives. It doesn't matter how many times you've said no, or, or it doesn't matter the intensity of that no, if it was an indifferent no, if it was a no by a non-answer, or if you literally cried out to God and rejected him out loud and said no to him out of a place of suffering or deep hurt, and you lashed out in anger and told God no. It doesn't matter how many times you've done it. Remember the thief on the cross next to Jesus. When crucified with him. The gospel, one gospel tells us that both thieves on the cross would mock Jesus while he was on the cross. But something changed in the thief. And by the end of the crucifixion, he had changed. And he had seen something that he hadn't noticed before. And he turns to Jesus and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he changed his no. At the last moment of his final breath, at his final hour, he said yes. And Jesus accepted his yes. And he said, assuredly, I tell you, on this day, you will be with me in paradise. Amazing. Don't forget the centurion at the foot of the cross, who was literally a murderer of Jesus, doing the actions of killing, driving the spikes into his wrists, plunging the spear into his side, hanging him on the cross. Gambling for his garments, arguing for his clothing, bartering for his clothing, putting the crown on his head. He was a part of this. And when he saw what he saw and heard what he heard, and when the earthquake trembled and the darkness covered the sky for hours, when Jesus lifted up his final breath, he said, wow, surely this man was the son of God. And he believed and he changed his no into a yes. And of course, 
Saul of Tarsus, the murderer of Christians, changes his no to a yes. All of these people who started out opposed to God change their no to a yes. And like Michael said last week, we need the rock that is Christ to come and smash our idols. To come and smash our idol of religious activity and religiosity and all our trappings of spirituality that lack substance to come and smash our indifference. So right now, right now, wherever you're watching, God is talking to you, friend. You, right now. And he's giving you the opportunity to turn your no into a yes. And maybe you said yes, but it wasn't a real yes. The same opportunity is for you. If you're watching right now and maybe you've never said yes to Jesus, or if you said yes to him sometime in the past, but somewhere along the way that yes became a no. Whether you're like the first son in the parable, or whether you're like the second son, God is giving you the opportunity to change your answer to a yes today, right now, as you're watching it doesn't matter if this is the first time you've said yes or if this is the hundredth time that you've done this and recommitted and said yes. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts against God as Israel did when they rejected him. But today is the day of your salvation, friend. So if that's you and you're watching this live stream right now because maybe someone shared it on social media, I'm talking directly to you. And God is talking to you. Or maybe you've been coming to the church for a while and you haven't quite said yes to Jesus just yet. I'm also talking to you. I'm hoping that you are like the first son and today is the day that you change your answer. I'm here to tell you that it's never too late. You can turn your no into a yes right now and he will accept your yes as he did Remember the thief on the cross. Remember the centurion. Remember Paul. Right now, God is asking if you will come and work in his vineyard. For those of you who are like me, maybe you identify with the second son. Maybe you've been in church for a very long time. A very long time. You'll be going through the motions. And on the outside, you're doing the right things and you're saying the right things. But let's be honest, you've been playing church. You said to Jesus at some point in your life, but somewhere along the way, that yes grew cold. That yes grew stagnant and you stopped working in his vineyard. You know you haven't been living right. You know your heart has drifted away from God onto other things. Maybe you've become bitter. Maybe you've become judgmental. Or maybe you simply meant well, but you got distracted along the way, and you need to refocus and reorient yourself back to Jesus right now, especially during these trying times. You need to get back to being about your father's business. And if that's you, I'm talking to you today, no matter where you're at on this spectrum, first son, second son, and you want to give your yes to God, I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want you to pray with me right now, wherever you're at. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and if that's you, like you're the first son, 
you want to say yes to Jesus. Or if you're like the second son and you need to say yes all over again. You know that's you. You know God's tugging at your heart right now. I just want you to pray after me. So I ask everyone here to bow your heads, close your eyes. And if you're listening and this is you, pray with me. Jesus, I say yes to you right now today. Whether it's my first time, my second time, I'm saying yes to you. I believe in you. I believe you are the king who comes in the name of the Lord. I believe that you are coming again. That you died for the forgiveness of my sins. And you rose again bodily that I might live. I believe in you. I give my life to you. Come into my life. I make you Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, I pray. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, we want to know about you. I know we're not meeting together in person right now, but wherever you're at, if you could just simply comment, yes, in all capitals, on whatever platform you're using, whether you're on YouTube, whether you're on Facebook, whether you saw this tomorrow, the next day, if you responded to this prayer, we want to know. We want to connect with you. Just comment yes so we can see you. We'd love to speak with you and, and give you the next steps and walk this journey with you. At this time, the message is over and we're going to transition into a time of Holy Communion. Thank you for listening to the Life Center Church Podcast. For more content, visit our website at lifecenterchurch.com.